for riding, um, I don't ask the horse, can I ride you? I want the horse to ask me, get on my back. Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. A place where we love to bring consciousness to the horse world. I'm your host, Tracy Malone, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley, in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. This land I live on is Waka Waka and Terrible Country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and to pay my respects to their ancestors, past, present, and future. And I'd also like to extend that respect to each and every one of you listening. In this episode, I speak with Jeannie Patel, and boy oh boy, she is next level of consciousness in my own personal opinion. As you heard in the snippet, she waits until all the things that we do with horses are the horse's idea, and that is just the tip of the iceberg. I know that when someone is talking and I start to fidget and feel really uncomfortable, that my buttons are getting pushed to a place I've been resisting to go. This happened during this interview. Jeannie pushed my buttons by the end of this podcast, and I mean that in the best way possible. The depth she has gone to with her own horses made me so uncomfortable simply because I'm not ready to go there yet. I will get there, and I'd love to get there, and I love and adore what she's doing. I'm just not there yet. There's so much surrender that's needed, so I'll be taking it one step at a time and giving myself a lot of kindness along the way. But it's an amazing place to strive to it, or not even strive to achieve for it. It's an amazing place to think that I can achieve that one day. And this is a long one, as you've probably come to expect from this podcast by now. So grab a cuppa or a glass of wine, enjoy the ride, and immerse and challenge yourself in what the amazing Jeannie has to say. Here is Jeannie. Jeannie, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Tracy. It's a great, great opportunity to talk with you. I'm looking forward to it. Can you first start with uh, a little bit about what you do? Well, I call what I do very simply as bearing witness. And it, it just kind of started that, um, you know, I had friends together or horses together with a friend of mine. And I've had horses since I was eight years old, horses of my own. And then I went through a gap where I didn't have them and I had my children and kind of, you know, got them out of the phase where they need mummy every second of the day and night. And then I went back to having horses again. And it was interesting because my childhood horses had kind of trained me and they had taught me what horses were like. And so then when I came back to horses as an adult, And the way other adults were around horses, there was such a discrepancy. Like it was literally like, like this was one thing and this was another. I, the two just did not meet anywhere. And so when my friend Kezia, yeah, when my friend Kezia, well, and I never realized that I never realized how lucky I was because Mm -hmm. my parents knew nothing about horses. Mm -hmm. So no one around me, I had one book that I bought. It was from the UK called Your First Horse. (laughs) And I got not just a horse, but a pregnant horse. Oh, and I just, yeah. And so every, I didn't, I didn't even know how to put on a bridle. I used to, I used to put the headstall facing down and hold the bit (laughs) up to her lips and go, are you going to open your mouth? And then she'd open her mouth and I put, (laughs) I had to read in the book. Does it go under the tongue or over the tongue? And I'd put the bit in and then I kind of hold it there with one hand and then grab the headstall and pull it up and over and then get her ears in. And, you know, and then I didn't even bother with the saddle because it was too heavy. I couldn't lift it, which was in retrospect, a really good thing because I knew nothing about saddle fitting. Mm -hmm. I just had a saddle and then she probably would have been very uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, And so things went like that. And she basically taught me everything. Wow. Uh, So where was that? What part of the world? How were you so protected from the world? Well, that was out in the countryside in Edmonton, Alberta. Mm. And it was the people, there were a few neighbors around me who had horses, but I didn't know any of them. And they were either like way older than me or, um, and the one of them were kind of crazy people. So that there was nothing that happened there. Uh, And it was just the days, this was before the internet. This was before 
videos, like nobody, there wasn't the sharing of information that there is now that you could just go look stuff, stuff up online. Yeah. Um, and I, I just didn't, I didn't have any, I'd been now, see, I was born in Kenya. So from the age of two, um, my mother would take me because I, I was, as soon as I could speak, I wanted to be on a horse. So she, every week she would take me to the stable and I'd have this little pony that they'd basically just lead me around with. And I just wouldn't, I would not miss that ride for anything. So I, I was very drawn to horses right from, right from birth almost. Yeah. And then by the time we moved to Edmonton, Alberta, which is, you know, kind of, I guess you'd call it a little bit Northern Canada. So there's a very cold winter. Um, and then about four months of four to five months of summer, um, I was asking my dad every single day, dad, can I have a horse? No, dad, can I have a horse? No. <laughs> so after a full year of that, he finally went, ah, fine. You know, and my parents are just odd in that way. They're not protective parents at all. They, I never had a curfew as I was a teenager. We'd travel to Europe and I would go off the streets of Venice by myself and I'd be the one to realize, oh my gosh, it's dark. I'm not down all these alleyways by myself. What if somebody just grabbed me and yanked me in? It was that information never came from my parents. There was no fear from them around anything regarding me. And That's my dad's amazing. Says, yeah. When people ask my dad about it now, he says, well, she was completely trustworthy. Why would we worry? So it, that's just what it was. And it was, you know, in those days, we didn't coddle children. We didn't sit over top of them the way we do now. And yeah, we weren't very, you know, remember the parents weren't really involved with your life. Like you no. did your own stuff. Yeah. And, you know. They didn't kinda, know where we were most of the time. Right. It was just, go it was out for the so day, come much back. more. Yeah. There and was they no never said, where did and, you go and what did you do even? They didn't, I don't remember right. asking. They would never oh, ask whatever. you because your life was your life and their life was their life. And it yes. wasn't seen as this thing where we're so responsible for who and what you are. Yeah. It was, you were really just left alone and there were no seatbelts and there were no helmets and there was mm. not this insane safety, this fear around safety did not exist. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I would hop on my horse and head out bareback and she would actually come and get me. I'd be playing with my friends and she'd come and just stare laser eyes into me and let's go for a ride. And I'm like, no, I'm making a mud banquet. I'm not done yet. <laughs> She'd be like, now. And I'd be like, okay, fine. And, you know, so everything I knew about horses came from her and she was one of those well, I think she was actually one of my spiritual guides incarnated in horse form mm. because along with that, I had an abuse, a physically abusive childhood mm. and I, life was really difficult for me. Uh, and I think she came to protect me and get me through that space. So I also feel like I have a debt to horse consciousness. I feel like, you know, the horse saved, literally saved my life. Yeah. And so now what I share, so getting back to the bearing witness thing, because I'm, in, I'm an adult, but I'm still, I still remember everything. And I still, that's my default setting with horses. Uh, I do things so much differently. And I, my, my objective is not that anyone else do things differently, my objective is simply to tell my stories and to bear witness. And then people take from that whatever they want. And if they don't want it and they chuck it out and they say, she's insane, she's a lunatic, that's totally fine too. <laughs> I have yeah. really no attachment to it. It's just like, these are my stories. And then you do what you want. Yeah, the, the power of storytelling is huge. It's the reason I do this podcast in the exact format I do because I believe that that's the best thing we can do is tell our stories and hope that people might be inspired to give it a go or, or have a mm -hmm. think. And also to, you know, to broaden it up to say, well, you know, just because I do or don't do certain things doesn't mean I sit in judgment of people who do those things, right? Yeah. So, and you see this a lot where people get really marginalized or, you know, really tunnel visioned about animals, horses in particular. And so, you know, someone who's decided that horses structurally shouldn't be ridden, um, you know, they're going to look at a cowboy and they're just going to say, well, that's abusive and he's mean and blah, blah, blah. But I'll tell you, I've met cowboys and I've met their horses and I've met someone who never asks anything from their horse. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the cowboy's horse is happier. Yeah. 
is more fulfilled, has a better relationship, is more enlivened and more a real horse than the horse who has nothing required of it. Mm -hmm. So because that horse, while it seems to have all of its physical needs met, it's maybe too much of the person is using that horse in a different way. It's using the horse as an emotional uh, sponge. you know, and putting all of their unmet needs on the horse. And the horse is not getting adequate movement because if you're not going to ride your horse, then you should be taking that horse hiking Mm. to give it the movement it needs, right? Like I take my horses, we take, we go, we hike for two, three hours. Like I'm exhausted Um, and they want to go more. And that's when I say, well, if you want to do more, you're going to have to carry me on your back because I can't do any more. Because for my thing is I don't, for riding, um, I don't ask the horse, can I ride you? I want the horse to ask me, get on my back. Oh, and that's just my gig. There's another right? level. Nice one. Yeah. So I don't want to know if it's okay that I ride you or that you'll allow me and you'll give me permission. Because for me, for what I had as a child, I had complete unity with my Mm. horse. I had like the pictures of the centaur where the horse and the human are one. Yeah. That's, that was my norm. Mm. That's what I'm like. So now if I have the other things, I'm like, again, I'm like, well, this is, this is not it. This is not what I want. This is not even what I enjoy. Mm. I want this thing. I want this unity. So the unity doesn't come from the horse saying, oh, okay, fine. Well, yeah, but it hurts me or at this or at that. Well, then we, if the horse is in pain or if the horse is, you know, just kind of letting you do it because it loves you, but it wouldn't choose it. All of those are barriers to unity, which yeah. is my goal. Yeah, exactly. So along with the horse saying, get on my back and, or me sending the horse pictures of us being in that unity and the horse saying, oh, I'd like to experience that, that would be kind of cool, is also addressing the biomechanics. Is the horse capable of carrying my physical weight without getting hurt, without there being stress points? Is the spine physically ready because the horse's bones have not hardened, the growth plates have not closed until the horse is five to six years old? So if I know that, why do I want to damage my horse's back and then set it up for a possible lifetime of pain? And how is that going to be an enjoyable experience that my horse is going to the next day say, yeah, let's go riding. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so all of those things come into play. And so it's very interesting when you approach it that way. So I only have, I have 11 horses right now. Um, five of four of them are completely wild. They were from a, a cull from a wild herd and they mostly don't want to be touched um, at this point, maybe never, which is totally fine with me. And others, they will like, they like to be, they like to greet me. So mm-hmm. they'll stand there and wait till I hold out my hand and then they'll greet my hand and then they'll move away. Mm-hmm. And then I have another one who he doesn't ever like to be touched, but he likes to touch you but he doesn't want you to look at him. And he, what he really loves is for you to stand with your back to him. So there's absolutely no threat of you doing your human grabby things, right? <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. And then he reaches out his nose and he explores and he moves my arms and he sniffs and he uses his lips to explore my hair. And he really, like, like we would do with an animal and wanting to stroke it and touch it, he wants to do that with me, but with absolutely no possibility of me touching him. Again, totally fine. So my one horse that is rideable, she's old enough, um, and she was trained for riding when I got her. She's an Andalusian. Um, I didn't get on her back for six months after she arrived because from that thing of me saying, no, I don't want it to just be okay. I want you to say, hey, get on my back. I want to experience that. And so we would just do that thing. We would just hike. And it was interesting because when she got into the forest and she got onto, you know, there's some trails that are on 300 acres where I would take her and she would just come to life. So again, it's like, well, what's the environment we have our horses in? Because that horse in my field 
or my paddock doesn't want to have anything to do with riding. She's never going to ask me to get on her back there because mm -hmm. that's not an environment that enlivens and invigorates her. But I take her to this beautiful trails and we hike the thing and then we run and I'm like, I can't run any faster. I'm going, she's like, faster. I'm like, this is it. I'm at max speed and I can maintain this for like three minutes and then we got to slow down, right? So they learn, oh, these are my limitations. Like I'm trying, but this is all I got in my tank. Mm. And so we'd done, I remember it had been about six months later and we'd done a two and a half hour hike. And I was like, Zoe, I'm exhausted. I got to go home. And she's like, no, let's go again. I'm like, then, you know, there's only one way that's happening is if you can carry me because I actually can't walk anymore. Like I'm, I'm going to be exhausted by the time we get home. Yeah. And she's like, fine then just, just get on my back. Let's go. And I was like, Oh, I thought you'd never ask. And so I got on her back for the first time on the road in the middle of, you know, like in the middle, like there were some houses nearby because we come out of the trail system. Yeah. So this is again, when everything is the horse's idea and done from that permission, that place of permission and that place of unity, there's no danger mm. because you're not forcing anybody. Yeah. You know, and you're not pushing them past any kind of comfort level or safety level. If it's their idea, they're all in. Yeah. So I get on her back for the first time, she's wearing a halter with a lead rope. So I just yeah. loop it around and I make some reins and I, I go, Well, we have to go to the fence here so I can climb on because I, I don't want to leap on and Ralph on your back as I land. So we do that and we go back out and we do another two and a half hour loop through the park and and she was just absolutely ecstatic and invigorated and enlivened and you know on the way home she told me to go see my chiropractor because my pelvis was unbalanced it was she was having to work really hard to balance me <laughs> oh. so I did I said okay I booked I said I went to my chiropractor and I said well my horse says my left hip is lower than my right he goes okay <laughs> he looks and he's like she's absolutely right let's get yeah. you sorted out there Wow. So I, I would assume that you could very clearly hear the horses when you were younger, because most of us can, when you're a kid, you know, these things just flow. You had a time away from horses and then you came back to them as an adult. Was it instant for you that you could just have that clear communication again or did it take time? It was instant, but I think that's because as an adult, I continued to develop. Um, my intuitive fluency. So I did a lot of meditating. I do pranic healing and various other energetic healing forms. So any, any practice where you're dialed into the divine or to your own intuition, I had a personal healing journey, um, which is what I do for my business. I teach people how to heal their digestive diseases. Mm. Uh, and to heal that, I had to be in constant dialogue with my own body, with my gut. Um, and then when I had my babies, I would talk to them the same way I talked to animals. It, there was, so there was no, this is where I'm intuitive and I can speak to horses and then I stop. It just was a thread that carried through. I remember with my son one time, I don't know how old he was, maybe four or five months. And I, he was just fretting and fret, fret. And I was like, I just remember sitting him and looking him in the eyes and saying, tell me what you need. And it's that same communication. I'm dropped in. I'm dialed in. It's telepathy. That's where mm. I'm asking him to tell me what he needs. And he says, change my diaper. And I look at him. I say, I just changed your diaper. He says, change my diaper. Okay. This is the trusting, right? Yeah. I go to change his diaper. There's a penny in his diaper. <laughs> I don't know. How did he drop a penny down? But it was bugging the crap out of him. Yes. I was like, oh, this is why. And of course, I don't now need to change the diaper. I just do the same diaper back up again and he's totally fine. Mm. So Beautiful. It, just, it was always there. It was never lost. That's great. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and like you said, the kids have it. My kids yeah, all had it. Yeah. And they still have it. They're in their teens now. And They're my son, my 18-year-old son, who's out, you know, drinking and smoking weed and <laughs> partying mm. with his friends, yep. he comes in one day and he looks at our cat and he says, Marbles needs a kitten. And I'm like, she just told me that an hour ago. Because <laughs> I said to her, why are you vomiting? And she says, I need a kitten. I don't oh. have any money. 
cuddle and, and I need that purr to heal myself. And we'd had this whole conversation. And my 18-year-old son walks in. He looks like a vampire because he's like up all night and sleeping during the day. <laughs> he yeah. looks at the cat and says she needs a kitten. <laughs> and guess who And he comes with me to go and choose the kitten because it's like they just don't lose that. You know, when, yeah. when you give permission for that intuition to exist and we don't um, say to the person, well, you're crazy or that's unusual or we just go, that's normal. Yeah. You, you keep it for life. Mm, that's wonderful. So tell me a bit more about how you handled the transition into the horse world as an adult. So you went in and you realized it looked nothing like it did when you're a kid. How did it go from there? Well, it was interesting because um, I had tried to just go and get myself a horse and get back into it. And I bought this horse for the interior. She had a six-hour trailer ride down. The day he was pulling into Vancouver, where I live, I found out I was pregnant with my third child. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you've got to be joking. Because we were on two methods of birth control. I was like, you've got to be joking. And then, and I said to him, you're not going to believe this. And he said, well, do you, because this was a green broke horse. And he said, do you want me to just turn around and take her back and I'll refund your money? And I was like, oh, it's like, no, I, maybe I think I can do it. And, and then, you know, the very first time I started working with her and she was just, she hated being there. She'd come from, uh, I think he'd had 50 acres and see, this was another thing because I had horses as a child and I was on land. I didn't have an awareness of the, how much the horse's environment, how important that is mm. because it, it just wasn't something I'd put together. Yeah. And I thought, and I had gotten her the biggest paddock area that I could and there was turnout and there, but compared to 50 acres free with a herd, it was, it was a prison. Yeah. So she was absolutely miserable and she was getting harder and harder. And I was like, I can't risk getting hurt because, you know, during, especially during the first three to four months of pregnancy, you've got yeah. to, you don't want to be, you don't want to take a parent full stop when you have children it, to look yeah. after. You don't get to lay in bed for months to heal. That's exactly it. So mm -hmm. I said, so I phoned him and I said, I said, you know, would you be able to, and I said, she's absolutely miserable here. And, you know, bless them. They're really good people. You know, they came picked her. I mean, of course I paid for everything, but so that didn't work out. So then when my third child was now old enough where I could be like, okay, now there's some room in my life to be with horses again, because I knew how much time they took. I knew how much of a commitment they were. Mm. Um, <clears throat> then I thought, well, I need a way to ease into this. So, but I, I didn't know how, because every stable I went to visit, it was like, I can't, I can't even be here. And I'd have to like, I'd walk into the stables, like, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't, because these horses were in prison. Mm. They were like inmates. Their lives were a torture. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how can I, how can I enter? And then I would try to, if I went trail riding, same thing. It was like, oh my God, you're in, your entire body is in pain. Ah. So it was like, how do I be with horses without having a horse on my own land, which financially was not possible? Um, like it was just too big of a step. So mm -hmm. what I ended up doing was, and it just again happened by chance, but I believe the universe is in charge of these things. I went to look at a horse that was for sale and it was on at this um, ranch where they had 20 acres and they did natural horsemanship. And I didn't connect with the woman who ran it. I connected with her husband and he was just this, he was a musician, but he was into the horse stuff and he kind of learned from her and I didn't end up, I was like, no, I'm not clicking with that horse. But I thought, why don't I do natural horsemanship? What, what is this? And I thought, oh, why don't I start by learning this natural horsemanship? Why don't I just start there? So that's what eased me into it. And mm -hmm. it's very interesting because, and you know, for me, you know, I do martial arts and I've done a lot of things where I, I really understand beginner mind. So I know that in order to learn something well, you have to put aside everything and you have to come in and just learn. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't come into natural horsemanship with my own knowledge and my own experiences. I came in like a beginner 
and just went fine. And I, d- I don't know if I even told him that I'd had any, uh, experience with horses. I think I was just like, yeah, teach me. Um, <clears throat> so I really kind of learned that whole philo- the whole pressure release, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which works great. You know, it's a very effective technique. It's kinder than a lot of the traditional horse handling methods. Um, but in terms of where I came from, it, it was still basically manipulation. And it's not really an authentic, intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. But I, I went, well, I can totally see how this would work if it was not your own horse. And let's say you were just working with a horse or let's say you ran a rescue and you needed to get these horses on the trailer. Perfect pressure releases is, is your friend, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. you don't have time to build a bond. You don't have time for that horse to trust you and develop a relationship with you. And it's a way of that they understand with their existing body language communication system of getting them to do something with minimal abuse, right? Yep. With minimal nastiness. So it had that I was like, okay, well that has its place and whatnot. And then I went and I um tried some English riding lessons because I was like, I was a bit thinking, well, I'm really useless with a saddle. So I should really try <laughs> to get better with a saddle. So I tried, I think I did six or seven lessons of that before I couldn't take that anymore. Like, I mean, just going around and around in a circle. I was like, kill me now. Well, this <laughs> is why you have to nudge the horse's sides every two strides because like you both want to kill yourself. It's so boring. It's like there's, you know, and you're focused. And yeah, there was a ton to focus on. But again, it seemed to me like the whole focus was in trying to bring the horse back to its natural, enlivened, collected movement. And I was like, why don't you just let the horse be free and they'll naturally move like that? Like we're putting them in this completely unnatural environment, making them go in circles, which horses in nature don't do, and then asking them to return to their natural movement but we've now put up all these barriers and we've squashed it into all these boxes. And we like, it just, again, seemed so bizarre and counterproductive and like a lot of hard work for something that should just for me and my experience come naturally. Mm. Um, Because when you ride and, and this, so this, let's talk about this This is another point that I've noticed when I look at people who ride bareback after they've ridden in a saddle, they don't ride bareback the way I do. And I thought, oh, look, that's fascinating. I'm like, they're trying to, to they're on the horse bareback, but they're still in the saddle. Mm. And it's, again, because of doing that as a child, um, that I didn't have, and I had no instruction and I had no nothing. I just, my body instinctively joined with the horse's body. And so when you ride like that, first of all, you don't ever sit on one place. Like there's none of this. You sit right there in that spot and you don't move. No way. You are all over that horse's back. It's very fluid. And I thought, well, that's brilliant because that avoids the pressure spot. Like if your weight just sits in one spot, like you, like you think about it when you're carrying, like you're carrying your baby on your arm. Yeah. You got to move like, it around. Yeah. yeah. And as soon yeah. as you move it around, you're like, oh, now I can carry you for 10 more minutes. Oh, now I'm going to switch you over here and I can carry you for 10 more minutes and without there being any stress or strain on your body. Mm. So when you ride bareback with no agenda, like you're just really looking for the where your body's become one and you move with the horse, like everything changes. The directions you lean in, your um, side to side movement, your like it's just, and I, I was think, talking to the horses, I was going, you know, that'd be really cool to get back to that place if anybody's ever willing um, and video it because it'd be so interesting to see on video because of course as a child, I didn't see myself ride. I just yeah. know these, that these things were different, but it would be really interesting to see it um, and see what that actually looks like. And, you know, to someone else who's going, they'll be like, wow, you're, you're like the worst rider in the world. But I'd be like, yeah, but it works. This is like, you don't come off this way. And you can, when you're riding bareback, you can feel every muscle in the horse's body. So if, if they're going to do something or if, if they're all of a sudden getting scared, you can actually feel that even a microsecond before it happens. 
So your body then is already automatically responding to what the horse's body is transmitting. So it's all faster than thought. It's all, and for that reason, it's a bit safer too. Mm. So yeah, it's like you said, I didn't, I never realized um, what a gift I'd had with that childhood of having no adults around me, Mm. no instructor, not even parents who knew or cared what I was doing, just kind of leaving me alone. And then I had, uh, and then things of course started happening as they do. And um, I woke up one morning and there was this little pinto pony in my field. I'm like, there's another horse in my field. What, what, how did that happen? And my dad's like, Oh, John owed me a poker debt. And so he gave, he dropped off the horse instead. I'm like, okay, great. Now my friend can ride a horse. So again, we don't know anything about this horse. We don't know its background. Turned out it was a fairly easygoing horse, just kind of like really dead and switched off. And then another day, um, my dad says, oh, so-and-so has this horse. They're going to send it to the meat plant because nobody can do anything with it. His name is Crackers. And if you try to go on his back, he goes Crackers. So I said- prophecy. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then they'd done terrible things to this horse. They'd like strung because they couldn't get the saddle on his back. Mm-hmm. So they'd strung it up from the barn rafters and tried to lower it on a rope. Like, can you imagine? So this, and this horse had been gelded late. His neck was as thick as my Andalusians. Like he was just, uh, and his, his personality, he was just, like he would have been the herd leader for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and so they dropped him off to me because it was like, well, see if you can do anything or like he's going to slaughter anyway. So if you can do anything with him and again, so, okay. So now I have this, not just like wild horses are actually really easy to work with. I will actually take a wild stallion preferably over any horse. If you ask me to work with or train a horse now, I didn't know that before, but now that I've had them, I'm like, wow, the, the, if they're wild and, and if their hormones are intact, they are so intelligent and they are so responsive and they are so safe because they know exactly where their body is. Like they do nothing by accident. Mm. I had one of my guys as a stallion kick a rope away from my leg because the rope was swinging into his leg and it was annoying him. And that was within a quarter inch of my leg and he didn't touch me. And he's done multiple things like that that show me I have the accuracy of a cobra. Don't even worry about this. (laughs) Wow. But anyway, so I then I have this horse and I don't know what to do. I've never trained a horse before. I've never rehabilitated. But there's nobody around. It's just me and him. So again, it was just this completely intuitive process. And of course, I, I made a lot of mistakes. And I think as a child, again, coming from a home where I myself was getting beaten up, I was I was not, there were times where I would, you know, smack the horse and, you know, get really mad at it. And I didn't treat like now I don't treat my horses like that at all. But as a child, that was my reality. And everybody around me was getting beaten and whipped by their dad. So it was like, the you know, it was like the norm yeah. for us. Yeah. Right. Yep. It's a normal um, physical response for most humans. It's a very reactive thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the interesting thing too with horses is that that's okay when it's clean and clear. So if, if, if they do something, you go, Hey, and you just lash out. Yep. but there's no premeditation yep. and you're not like angry at them. It's, it's the way they communicate with each other. Yep. And the instant that's done, it's dropped and you're back to, and you can't fake this. Like your nervous system actually is back to normal and you're actually like, are we moving on? Are we? Okay, good. We're moving on. All right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't fake that. If it actually is that the horse, it's, it's actually fine with them. In my experience, they're like, they're okay with that. They're like, that's clean. That's clear. Yeah. You know, I'm sure they'd like you not to, but they're actually okay with it. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not a big deal where, where it's a big deal is where you have all the manipulative human, I'm hurt. And how could you do that to me? And like all of that stuff is way nastier than just a smack. Yeah. Um, although of course, neither is, is preferable. So I had this, this little, this second pony, black and white Pinto. And, uh, and he ended up, 
he fell in, he, my, one of my best friends just loved him and he loved her and she was huge for him. Like her feet were a foot from the ground, but she's the one he wanted to ride her. And they would do all, cause once I'd gotten him to the point where he could be ridden and he'd gotten over all of his, you know, traumas and blah, blah, blah. And then he, he ended up, uh, years later, I don't know, five or six years later, we sold him to a person with a two-year-old. And we said, if you have any problems with him, if there's any issues, like just bring him back. We'll give you your money back. Wow. And they were, they loved him and he was completely gentle and he was, you know, and that was again, just through, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just intuitive. Just but what did you do? In dialogue. Oh, I did all kinds of things that you shouldn't do. <laughs> like the first time I remember this cause it sticks in my mind. Cause I was like, how do I work with you when you go bonkers? And I had, he came with a halter on. So I had gotten a lead rope on him and I tied the lead rope around the fence post. Like I had his head snubbed right up to the post. So he basically couldn't move his head at all. Mm-hmm. Um, again, nothing. I would never do that now, right? Yeah. Um, and then I just stood there and I said, is it okay if I touch you here? And he's like, and then no. And so I'd stop. And I'd say, okay, well, how about if I touch? So again, it was like, I did, I don't know why I did that, but I did. But again, he's reading my energy. Mm. Right. So he's not, he obviously was not worried. He was not worried about me snubbing him tight to a post and then beating the crap out of him. He just knew that's not going to happen. And so then, and then I would go, well, if I put my arms on your back and then I put a little bit of weight, how's that? Mm, that's all right. Or no, he sidesteps. Okay, well, let's do that. I'll, I'll scratch you instead. And I just started like that. And it was basically that dialogue. And, and that dialogue of how's that? Is that okay? A lot of horses have never been asked that question. That is so right? true. They're never even allowed a voice to say, oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't really like that. Or that's, you know, and if they move away, you're like, hey, stand still. Right. Mm. That's what you normally get. Or put them in, put them in the chute where they can't move to the side, and their bodies are just invaded at our will, like like they don't own their own body. So I think I think just that type of thing. And then I, as a kid as well, I spent hours and hours just hanging out in the field with them, mm. you know, and and just just being with them. And he would. And the other thing, this is the other thing that's really crucial because I see this with my wildies. Um, horses learn so much by watching us with other horses. So, right. Cause so he sees my horse and he can, he's energetic. He can see that our energy merges and we become one. Well, what is that? Mm. Right. Like he probably never even knew that was possible with the human, let alone had ever seen it before. So right there, he's understanding that this is a different human what she, what, how does this, and why does, why does, you know, this mayor love her so much? Cause he would be able to see the love energy flowing between us. So that does a lot for showing the horse who you are is you don't actually have to touch them. Just let them watch you with your other horses for a while. And that alone, like that's why the, these wildies are initiating touch with me, even though I've said, you know what, I actually, I know what happens. You initiate touch and then I have to scratch you. And then scratching is like, takes me two hours. It's a full-time job. <laughs> yes. So I was like, I'm totally okay for you guys to never be touched and keep scratching yourself on the trees and everything else like a good horse should. <laughs> but they quickly learn that, oh, you can reach my udder and my sheath and all those wonderful places where I can't even get to. And, and you know what, you're much better at it than me. And so then I'm like, now I'm hooped. Right. So even when I'm actively saying, no, no, they watch me with the others and they watch how much the others enjoy my touch. And then guess what? They start to say, well, why is that so good? Well, maybe I would, could I feel that? Could I feel what that feels like? (laughs) And then it just goes from there. Right. Yeah. Once they become inquisitive, their relationship begins. Yeah. And I think that's a key thing. Like what you said, horses are naturally, I would say it's the core of their being to be inquisitive and curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And playful. Yeah. Right. So everything that I like, I do no training. My, my first four horses were semi-feral. 
So they had an owner, but he'd never touched them and they never had a halter on. And that's why they were being sent to slaughter as well because um, they, no one, no one wants, and two of them were stallions. So right there, nobody wants them. Um, and, you know, just that whole, like everything I've done with them, I've done through play. It's never been training. Mm. And so I actually come up with another term for it. I call it five minute fun. Because here's the other thing. When the horse is actually ready to learn or wants to learn something, all they need is five minutes and they've got it. Yeah, I completely uh, agree with that. I have a Spanish Mustang who thinks repetition oh, is just ridiculous. She just looks at me sometimes and she's like, oh, my God, are you serious? I'm like, okay, sorry, no, I'm not. <laughs> you <know>? Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, we need to do float training. She's like, what for? We're going to a clinic tomorrow. I'll walk on the float tomorrow. And I was like, okay, we have to stop. We have to stop. She knows how to get in a float. We're just looking ridiculous now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally agree. And, and they need that constant stimulation as well of um, show me something new and interesting. Yes. It's like the, the um, oh my gosh, what's the new thing where they, uh, mountain trail, where they have the horses do all the obstacles. Oh, okay. Do you have that in Australia? It's, it's big here in, in North America. So they basically set up an obstacle course comprised of all the, um, scary, difficult elements a horse would encounter if they were in the wilderness, like mm, on the side they of a call mountain. It, I think whatever. they call it working equitation here, but it's probably a little bit oh, Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And it's, I find it, it's absolutely hysterical because with my horses, like that's the, in, well, they're, where they live is an environment like that because it's, um, they've got about 30 acres and a lot of it is forest and it goes down a steep thing to a creek and then up the other side and there's coyotes that live back there and all kinds of things. So I watch my, I watch my Belgian mare do a triple jump through the woods at a dead run on trees that have just fallen down. Mm. And it's, it's so funny that people are there with their horses trying to get them to, it's like, you know what? Just provide them with the terrain. They, they naturally move over terrain like this. And so when I take my guys out and I take them hiking anywhere, it doesn't matter what we encounter. They know how to navigate it mm. because that's just normal life. And again, so it's, it's about getting them out and allowing them to be curious and, and exactly. inquisitive and check out their surroundings. And this is what happens when we domesticate horses and put them in paddocks and they say this, see the same thing every day. If they're not getting that interesting um, external stimulation, then you really have to yeah. do a lot of work. And, uh, and yeah, and they, they will find a lot of those things like working equitation quite difficult because they're not encountering it in their everyday life. Yeah. And, you know, and so let's just talk about that. Let's say, okay, so you've got your horse in a very restricted domestic environment and you're like, well, I can't take them out anywhere interesting or whatever. And so working equitation, well, then what I would say is, well, what I would do rather than putting them in a class or a thing where they have to do this and in this order and for this amount of time or whatever the parameters are, how about going to the obstacle course on your own and letting your horse take you around as their interest draws them? Yeah. Or what I'll do sometimes with, with my dogs even, like we'll be in the woods and there'll be a thing and I'll leap up on it and I'll go, hey, look at this. And then the, they'll look at me and they'll be like, and you know, one of them will jump up and just follow me even though it's treacherous and the other one will kind of have and then go, no, that doesn't feel safe for me. And then he won't, but mm -hmm. it's his choice. Yes. Right. And, yeah. and that's the thing with horses because they're naturally curious. Um, they're naturally going to explore that obstacle course. They mm -hmm. totally will. Yeah. Unless, two, unless two ways they're to do the same thing. Yeah. Unless they're starving and then they're just going to be focused on where they can get food. So yeah. that's the other huge difference that I noticed. Um, the place where I did the natural horsemanship lessons and whatnot, they schedule fed their horses four times a day. So mm -hmm. they you know this is the weight that you are. So this should be plenty of food for you. And it's delivered four times a day. And then what I did, what I ended up doing was getting one of um, their horses who they had gotten from a ranch in Alberta. And um, she ended up becoming my daughter's horse. Um, but I, really noticed with her because she had come from a 300 acre ranch where 
after they worked doing trails for the day, they were turned out. So food for her was not rationed either. Mm. And I watched all of these horses like they knew exactly when that food was coming. And so if you wanted to interact with them, you had to time it exactly because if it was too close to when the food was coming, they were every cell in their being was geared towards the food is coming. <laughs> I have to get back there because then I won't get my share. Yes. And then once the food had been delivered, if you want to take that horse out, that horse is never going to be with you. Like they'll, they'll come with you because they have to in their body, but their mind and their soul are back there crying because they're missing their meal. Like, and it induces such a scarcity in mm. the horse's mentality. And I was like, oh my God, I can hardly stand this. I've never had a horse that lived in scarcity because my horses always had access to pasture or hay. Like it wasn't a thing that was rationed ever and it wasn't schedule fed and they weren't standing in a dirt paddock waiting for food to arrive when their gut's producing acid 24 seven. Mm. So, you know, that was the other thing that I was like, this is insane. Why would people do this with horses? Because then the horse is never really able to get with you because they're either worried about food or planning for the next meal, or do you know what I'm saying? It was just so artificial. It was, and again, just a completely human-induced craziness. Yeah, yeah, there's so many good things in there to start thinking about. And, you know, a lot of people just have never considered it. A lot of people mm -hmm. have never really, you know, thought that that could actually be a problem. And it's the way that we've domesticated horses and the way we keep them and everything that we do it's um the reason I do this podcast is to bring consciousness into the horse world and I just mm -hmm. want people to start being conscious about everything about the horse's environment about the horse's body about the horse's hooves about the horse's well-being about you know how they interact with the horses it's the horse got choice I just want them to be conscious around their horses instead of just doing um what they've been shown just doing what everyone else has taught them in the horse world and just keeping on with that same thing. You know, a lot of us now are in, we have the wide world web, we have podcasts and we have the ability to access other things. And it is about being really conscious about every single part um, of life with horses. So it's great that you're opening up these topics. Yeah, and so many people who've been trained by other humans about horses, either from childhood or as adults, if you look at why we do so much of what's considered normal, the reason is fear. Fear of getting hurt, fear of the horse getting hurt, fear, like, and it's like, okay, since when is fear a good reason for anything? Yeah. Right? If you actually break it back. And so I have um, a friend of mine, she's, been in the more traditional horse world. She's trained stunt horses for the movie industry. She's trained hunter jumpers. And so then she comes and she starts hanging out with, with me and my herd. <laughs> like, and she is just continually blown away by the things that she never realized. It's almost like a brainwashing. Mm. And that because it's, that's the way it was done and everybody around her did things since she was a kid. She's never even questioned until again, seeing and experiencing it being done a different way and going, wait a minute, why is everyone doing it then? So it'll be so funny because things will just come up and, you know, we'll take, a, we'll take a couple of horses out and she's, she'll just make, she'll say like, these are the only horses I've ever been around who don't want to go back home. Because <laughs> it's traditional, right? The horse, yeah. don't let the horse run on the way home because they'll take off. They want to get yeah. home. Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. is home the preferred place? Whereas for my horses, they're like, no, nah, I don't want to go home. Let's go again. Let's go more. Let's go out. Because for them, doing stuff with me is the best experience because they're allowed to be in charge. They're allowed to be empowered. They're allowed to uh, have a voice. And sometimes we do what I want and sometimes we do what they want. In fact, most of the time we do what they want. I try, I, I treat my horses the same way I do my kids. I try to always say yes. I yep. try to always facilitate. Like you are your own person. You are here on this planet for the reasons that you know. 
So how can I assist you to be the most brilliant expression of who you are? What can I do to, to, to assist you and, and help you with that and support your own journey? So I'm always looking for how to say yes to whatever the child or the horse or the dog or whoever wants. Um, and the, the times I reserve no for the times where I'm like, no, because let me tell you, there's some human rules. And if you do that, that neighbor is going to, uh, then I'm going to be in trouble. And, and then they're like, oh, okay, fine. So when I do say no, they don't, they almost never battle with me because mm-hmm. they know that if I'm saying no, there's a really good reason. And, and the times that they do battle with me is because they have another idea that I'm not seeing. And so they're, you know, it's like when you're with a friend and you're like, let's go. And she's like, no, no, I really need to go here. No, no, let's go here. No, no, let me tell you, I really need to. So it's that type of thing. Again, it's a dynamic relationship. Everybody's allowed their voice. Yes. And just because they are your horse, it doesn't mean um, they're not allowed a voice. Yeah. Because they, they really, they own their own body. I don't yeah. own their, but I'm legally their owner, um, but I don't own their, their body or their soul or their mind or, you know. Yeah. And if we, if we found out that someone was using our children in a physical way like that and they hadn't been given a voice or an option or a choice, we would absolutely be in uproar. Yet we do it a yeah. lot to horses, a lot in the industry. Yeah. Mm. And, and just all all the assumptions of um, like the feet are a really good example, mm-hmm. right? No, no, no hoof, no horse. Mm-hmm. So the hoof is where you'll get even the most enlightened person saying, "Look, you got to have your hooves trimmed." And and I had thought that way too, until my Andalusian questioned me on that because you know I was in the process of saying to her, "No, no, it's different here." you do get to have a voice. You do get to decide. This is your body. And she's like, really? Do I really? Then how about this? Don't touch my feet. And I'm like, oh, right? Wow. And, and, well, what if they get infected? And then what if you go lame? And then what if you, and she's like, is it my body or is it not? Do oh. I get a choice? Oh, you push every boundary. It's great. God. <laughs> and I said, well, what are you saying? You want to have a thrush infection and you want to be lame and you want to... Be... She's like, I'm not saying any of those things. I'm asking you, in this intimate relationship you say you want, do I have choice or do I not? Like, where does the choice stop, right? Because if you want full intimacy, that's full choice. And I was like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> And then that launched us on this whole thing of, it was brilliant because by the time the semi-feral horses come along, who of course they're like, uh, I am a horse. My primary method of defense is to run away on my feet. Mm -hmm. And you're asking me to let you hold onto one of my legs. Have you lost your mind? Yeah. Right. And you, you, again, you see it from that perspective. You're like, we have no idea how much we are asking. And not only do we hold on, to, do we get that leg, but then we want to hold on to it for what we think is a reasonable amount of time. Mm. Well, what if they don't? What if they're like, you can have it for five seconds at a time. Pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it, and then because that's what feels safe to me. That's what feels good to me. Like all of these things, we've made so many assumptions that we're not even aware of until we give our horses their voice and they start saying things to us and we're like, what? <laughs> You know, so that then led to this whole journey. And um, it's amazing, again, the levels when you give your horse the opportunity to be fully empowered and their wisdom that then emerges just it's and that in itself is such a gift to Mm -hmm. watch the wisdom of a being that is fully integrated. Because so as humans, we we tend to fragment off from our bodies right? We tend to um, chunk our body and our mind up into little boxes. And and then we have now an opportunity to to be with a being who is fully integrated. And and when we allow them to be, the wisdom that they show us is, is astounding. And so all of the horses now, they have their hooves trimmed uh, unhaltered at Liberty, 10 acre field in the herd. 
Uh, if they want to take off, they take off. If they don't want their hooves done, they don't get there. But what they do, they know exactly what they need. And they will come and they'll say, and they'll say, yep, me next. And then they'll be like, just a little bit, just, just a little trim on the sides. Like they know exactly, they're their feet. Wow. They navigate at a dead run through dense forest. I think they know what they need their hooves to be like. And so when we actually are listening, so a starting point would be Maureen Tierney's uh, DVD, um, the Hoof Guided Trimming Method. That's kind of like the starting point for what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, we realize, wow, when we give up the idea of, of like the Mustang roll and all these preconceived notions, the horse then starts using their hoof to correct imbalances in their bodies. So my Andalusian horse, Zora, she was saying, no, leave it really. It looked ridiculous how long she wanted it left on one side of, of her hoofs. And then we realized, wait a minute, she's, since she arrived, she stood kind of pigeon-toed. And so she'd had body work and she, but that stood. And then she, she's like, yeah, I know something's really off in my shoulders. I need to fix it, but I need you to leave my feet alone so I can fix it. And so we did, we left her alone. We just did what she told us to do. And let, even though it was like my, my barefoot trimmer who happens to, you know, be thank God in the same vein as me, or she'd never have been able to left them alone because it's really challenging. Mm. Um, she fixed her shoulders. And once her shoulders were fixed, she's like, okay, take it off, trim it off. And then, and then the second journey for her a year later, she's like, I want to try, try trimming my own hooves like the wildies do. Because if you provide your horses with an adequate uh, graveled area, they can actually trim their own hooves. Yeah. Yeah, like really well. And they do a nice job of it too. So she wanted to, but if they haven't been mucked with by the humans, I don't know if it changes the hoof wall or something, but um, because when Zora Star said, I want to try to trim my own hooves, the first time she, she kind of did it, but she couldn't really get very far. So then we just kind of thinned the hoof wall for her. And then so she could break off the chunks more easily. And then it's like, as her body came into that knowledge or rediscovered that knowledge, she became better. At trimming her own hoof. She's still not as good as the semi-feral or the wildies are, um, but she's definitely getting better. And, and so there's just like another hole. And then you're like, wow, this is huge. And, and, and nobody, again, no one's even thinking about this. We're thinking that, of course, they need us to cut their hooves. Oh, it's but so, they? yeah, 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 yeah. It's, um, it's a bit mind-blowing, really. It really yeah. is a bit mind-blowing. You know, you think you've gone deep and then there's another layer. Wow. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wow. And, and I don't think it's ever going to stop. Like just when I think, oh, my gosh, you guys, then they do something else. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I agree with you there completely. It's why I like to uh, – I, I have the intention of keeping checking in with everyone in about a year's time and every year because I have – every faith that this is going deeper and it's really just beginning and it will yeah. grow and it will change and it and it will transform to something mm -hmm. quite extraordinary they've been the sleeping giants for a long time and uh, we're finally starting to listen so they they're um, they're taking it easy on us and taking it slowly but i really get excited about where it is they're going to take us yeah most and and the thing with horses like i don't know there's some there's some link for me between horses, dolphins, whales, and elephants. They're in some kind of connected loop mm. energetically. But if you look at those species, who's the one that can work with us? Yeah. Like who's the, right? Like how we can't, most of us cannot have an intimate relationship with a dolphin, a whale, or an elephant, mm. but we can with a horse. And so I think that's, it's another way of going, wow. And this is a creature who, you know, unlike our dogs and our cats who come into our home and become super domesticated, the horses are outside in nature. So they, they're not disconnecting from that. They're not disconnecting from their wild elemental um, environment and connection to source. Mm. And so in that way, I think they can hold a very unique space for us even though we're in in a they're in a domestic environment with us yeah yeah anything's possible 
all we have to do is start listening. Yes, exactly. exactly. Wow. Wow. So, Jeannie, can you tell me where can people find you? They can find me at listentoyourhorse.com. And that's what I, that's what everything about the bearing witness is just pointing the way for everybody to just listen to their own horse. Mm. Because your horse knows what you're ready for. It, your horse knows what you're there with each other for. Yeah. So it's, again, it's not about, well, I do this, so everybody should do this. It's not about that at all. Mm. It's just about listen to your horse yeah. because everything is there for you. Yeah, and that's why it's um you, you call it ideas and stories because it is. and But it's very hard to know what's possible until sometimes you hear a story that it's possible yeah. and you're like, Oh my God, that's possible. And then you you've, can take that to your horse and make that decision together as to what to do. But um, there's some fantastic concepts there that people maybe didn't even believe were possible. So it's, um, it's lovely to yeah. throw some ideas out there and, uh, and see what it is that people might do with these ideas. That's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just like I said, just... Being, being, showing, bearing witness, being a voice for the horses. I'm, I do a lot of video. So I also have a YouTube channel. Um, it's, it's uh, if you just go to the blog, there's a link right there to the YouTube channel. That'd be the easiest way to get to it. Right. Um, and a lot of videos just showing how I exist with horses. And, you know, so my horse says, take me onto the unfenced 20 acres just you and me, let's go and don't put a halter on me. And I'm like, what? But the neighbor hates us and the, and there's cars on the busy road. And it's like, do you trust me? Like, are we in relationship? I went, oh, okay. And then I video, I, I take my little, little camera with me and I video parts of that wow. um, to just show, yeah, here we are. Here's what's happening. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if my horse is going to take off and I'm going to be like, this was a total, um, that I totally blew. I don't know, but I'm willing to tell the story. I'm mm. willing to just bear witness of it. Fantastic. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's, um, yeah, you're leading us down a, a wonderful um, road, a road that I love and a road that's full of absolute possibilities and a, and a road that's only going to open to more and more depth with horses. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, well, Jeannie, thank you so much for your time today. But most of all, thanks for everything that you do for horses. It has been an enlightening and mind-bending experience talking to you today. I've had to sit here and work through a lot of my own stuff going, really, really? Oh, that'd be so hard. Um, But it's great to have these challenges and concepts thrown at you because how do you change and grow if you don't have them? And you know what? Now your horses know that you know. I know. Right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> gonna, you're going to go out there and they're going to be, we know. We're in Come on, Tracy. I know. You can't pretend you didn't hear what you heard. <laughs> I know. Oh, God, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, but they're, they'll hopefully um, be gentle on me. Be gentle on me. Also, okay, this is where I'm at. This is where I know I can be. And let's exactly. work together to get there. But you've got to be gentle with me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I asked for that too. And sometimes they're like, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, that's my Spanish Mustang. She doesn't, doesn't, yeah. Is she the, um, the bay one? She is the dark bay. Yeah, the she's the one, one that's on the yeah. cover of, that's her mother as the bay. Um, she's a stock horse and her mother is on the cover. I mean, she, Gypsy, is on the podcast cover with me. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. And I'm, I, I'm looking on your about page and you're there with, there's two horses with you there. Yes, that's the two. And they both, look, they both look very enlivened and very, um, like, they're, in, they're really in their bodies. Like, they're present, very yeah. present. That's lovely to hear. That's all you can ask for, really, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. That's. I mean, that's why we're all here, right? If you just wanted something you could ride, just ride a bike or ride a... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's about connection, and it's what we all actually crave. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, Jeannie, thank you again. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you again because, my God, it's, wow, imagine a year. That would be amazing. Yeah, exactly. Imagine what the uh, the wildies will have shared within a year. I mean, yeah, yeah, amazing. Wow. Exactly. All right. Until then. <laughs> Thank you, Tracy. It's been a wonderful. pleasure. All right. If you'd like to connect with Jeannie, you can follow the links in the show notes, and you can also see all the things that she's referenced there as well. The Maureen Tierney's DVD hoof guided trimming method is there as well. Click on the links in the show notes and it'll take you to where it is you need to go. I'm on a mission to create a community of gentle and ethical horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, share or comment on social media posts, or tell your friends about the podcast. You'll find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. If your friends don't know how to podcast, send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who'd love to listen but isn't quite sure how. I'd also love it, really love it, if you get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine, so please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover, if there's something you'd like me to research more and really speak about, at length or even just in a short way let me know i'd love 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 to serve you guys more anyway thanks again for listening and i'll catch you next time on come along for the ride